Uh, well, okay, we're, people, we're live I think, now. I think we lost Mike the second we, we actually went live. Yeah. Was Mike with us? Mike, you're, you're <laughs> on mute and your camera's off. Now you're back. Except you're on mute. Vertical video is the trend, though. So. <laughs> I don't see mute. you guys, though. No, no, now you're good. I now, see now you. I don't see you guys. All right. Uh, hang on. Make sure you're on. We were so good, too. I'm going to call you right back. I'm going to call right back in. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm going to call right back in. Make it easy. You you guys talk amongst yourselves. Oh, yeah. We have no problem with that. Okay, good. Rich, very spring look today with the pink. Now you look good. Now he's really gone. But we are, we we do have people online. So we'll be right. Mike's coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Well, why don't we make a public service announcement in terms of if you have questions, a PSA. the comment. Oh, that was quick. Oh, Mike's back. Okay, I'm back. Yeah, all yeah. good. Perfect. Yeah, all good. Okay, you look perfect. Even better Great. than before. Walt, fire that was away. The plan. That was the plan. Um, so thanks for joining for Lightshed Live. Yeah, Rich Greenfield, Brandon Ross, and myself from Lightshed, Mike Freeze. Um, let's hit the ground running um, rather than kind of go through the generic, hey, what's the wireless strategy? What is the overall strategy of the company now? I mean, you've had a lot of operating companies. You've moved them to JVs. There's a lot of equity stakes. You pretty much are basically going to have one consolidated company. Like, what is the plan? Um, yeah, great question. That's the right the question. And you, you probably didn't have a chance to listen to our earnings call yesterday, but I, I addressed this, address this head on because uh, – Look, we've been at this 30 years, and it seems like a long time. Uh, I've been doing this for 30 years, yep. mostly in Europe, but also in Asia and Latin America. And in Europe, you know, the last two decades in Europe have been focused almost exclusively on consolidation, right? We were the Comcast of Europe, just like John did in the old days, right? Cable Cowboy, gobbling up uh, operators uh, in core markets and building, a, you know, a scale-based MSO across Europe. Um, and of, in the last you know, three or four years, a lot of things happen, right? The market matured, uh, you know, the broadband, the race for broadband slowed a little bit, but also importantly, and we'll talk a lot about this, you know, it became a converged marketplace. Um, and we, we realized that the synergies we were driving across Europe were less than the synergies we could drive inside of core countries through fixed mobile mergers. And as a result of that, you know, we exited some markets to, you know, at very high prices. You guys have been following the cable market in the U.S. for decades. That, you know, the private market, public market valuation gap is alive and well, and we proved that. We sold Vodafone, you know, four countries at uh, twelve times EBITDA, and we were trading at six or seven. So, uh, we decided that the time is right to either exit certain markets partner with companies in the mobile space or in some cases buy mobile operators and this convergence um uh you know theme is driving us to make decisions market by market that are going to generate the best value for customers and of course shareholders uh as we as you know today we still sit on top of a very scale-based large operation 80 million mobile and fixed customers 24 billion of revenue if you take all the jv revenue and our consolidated revenue and add it up it's just that we don't necessarily own 100% of it anymore. Yep. And, you know, our, our job is to, you know, drive value creation into the, in these markets. Um, we're still heavily engaged. Even in the operations we've sold, we still provide hundreds of millions of dollars a year of services, technology services, um, IP backbone, you know, entertainment platforms. We're managing IT. 
So we're never really out of the businesses, even when we sold them. So we're still, you know, we're still very much an operator. Uh, but at the same time, I think we're just being realistic. We're in this to create value, not empires. And when you when you take that attitude, you know, you do what's best for for the bottom line, and that's what we've been doing. So the so the concept of, of getting any synergies across the market that's kind of gone, right? So how do how would you look at like America Mobile or Vodafone? They claim to have synergies by operating in, in different markets that way. Yeah, I think there's some procurement synergies. Look, if you're a big handset. Uh, you know, um, you're selling handsets every day and tons of them, you're going to get a better deal from Apple. There's going to be some procurement synergies, but even Vodafone would tell you the synergies across the group are not material. Look at what's happened in Europe. Uh, the pan-European telco is going away, right? Everybody's trying to optimize in their core markets. And even uh, even Vodafone's exiting uh, India right? or trying to exit right. India, trying to get out of Africa, realizing that even Europe is their core space. So you've um, been part of focus. you've been part of Liberty Structures for a long time, and and you know I, yeah. I go back to my I started looking at Liberty in in the mid '90s, and I remember some of the parts valuations has sort of been kind of a way of life with Liberty and yeah. John and and everyone. And how do you think, like from a valuation standpoint? Do you, are you going to get credit for all of this stuff? Or are you frustrated by kind of how people have valued you over the last few years? Like, just how do sure. you think about that kind of aspect? Because it's obviously now even more relevant with this transaction. Well, we put a slide up on that too. I think our investors were quite happy to see that slide. We did a, some of the parts valuation for the group uh, yesterday on the call. These are the components. We're sitting on um, twelve dollars of cash per share. I mean, we're stock trades. I'm sure it's trading today, twenty-one bucks or something, twenty-three bucks. We're sitting on $12 a share of cash and $4 a share of publicly traded stock in our subsidiary called Telenet at 16 bucks right there. We've got two businesses, the JV with Vodafone in Holland and the business uh, in Switzerland. We own 100% of the business in Switzerland and the JV, we own 50%. Uh, we estimate those businesses on any conservative valuation, 10% free cash flow yields, 14 times operating free cash flow you know, mid sevens on an EBITDA basis are worth five to seven dollars a share. So you're getting to our stock price without giving any value to the deal we announced yesterday. If you if that deal we we value between 18 and 22 dollars a share minimum. Uh, so you could say our stocks have doubled on the just on the value gap itself. And it's it's you know fair enough. I mean investors when we sold the the assets to Vodafone we ended up with all this cash investor had two big questions. What are you going to do with the money? And secondly, what about this UK thing? It looks competitive. It looks challenging. It looks like it's run its course. Well, we've, we bought back a bunch of stock with the cash. We're still sitting on $8 billion of cash. And the UK thing we just demonstrated is worth at least nine and a half times. And you know we got uh, some, somewhere in the order of two bucks of cash coming out, another six bucks of synergies coming out. So, I mean, there's real value in this asset. And, and uh, I think you can easily get to a double on our stock just on some of the parts. But again, what are you going to do with all that cash at this point? Does it make sense to buy all of Belgium and combine that with Netherlands to realize what, what are you going to do with the cash? By the way, that's Maroon Bells behind you, isn't it? It is. It is. I, I, I know He's that. Well, the Colorado I shout out, and it's my favorite place in Colorado, as it is probably many people's. So appreciate that. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Mike, uh, we're trying look, to take it, care of you. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> you know, that. Yeah, I really do. Listen, it, it is. A, it's the right question. So we're sitting on about eight billion of cash, ten billion of liquidity. 
And with this deal, we'll get another almost $2 billion of cash out of this deal that we just announced yesterday. So we'll have tons of liquidity. Yeah, we did buy almost $3.5 billion worth of stock last year. Um, you know, I wish I would have waited. We did that tender at high 20s. But nonetheless, we bought $3.5 billion worth of stock. We're buying a billion dollars at least this year. We bought $500 million in the last two months in the 16s. Um, so I think we'll do, you know, what why, 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 why is it, hold on, but why is there a disconnect on valuation? Like I remember you talking at Davos and you were frustrated in Davos about the disconnect in terms of where you bought stock back versus where the stock was trading. It's obviously gotten a bit worse just given where the market's gone. But like, if the gap is so wide as you're talking about, like what are investors missing? Like, you well, know, well, was- initially, you know, if I go just rewind to the recent past, in our minds, they were missing the inherent value of the business in the UK not just the inherent value of the asset on its own in terms of its ability to generate cash, but also the opportunity to be the game-changing fulcrum asset in a converging UK telecom landscape. I'll repeat that. It is the fulcrum asset in a converging telecom landscape in the UK. Fifteen Half the country with one gig already. The other half we're considering when and where to build out. Significant free cash flow, um, you know, by far the third largest broadband base, but the second largest pay TV base, a growing mobile MVNO business. Um, you know, it's, it's a fantastic, it's a great brand. It's a great product. We have all the content. So it's a great business that we felt the market was just losing sight of or maybe fatigued in analyzing, whatever it might be. But we knew that it was a fulcrum asset. And there were in our transactions where we can utilize that network, principally that network, to drive uh, synergies, to drive premium valuations, to drive future growth. And we just demonstrated that yesterday. So it'll take time. People will, people will appreciate it and get there. But um, I think we're doing all the right things. So back to the cash quickly, if you want to answer that question. Um, you know, we've been clear from the get-go. We'll, you know, we look at two or three different areas. Number one, we look at our core markets. Back to this notion of we're in these core markets. We've got to drive value in those core markets. It's about optimizing and 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 driving value in Switzerland, in the UK, in Holland, wherever that that might be. Secondly, you know, we look at our capital structure. We run in traditional liberty fashion a levered equity capital structure. We buy back stock all the time, so it's always available to do that. And third, we're going to look for you know businesses that fit our strategy, you know, where we can um, invest in scale-based opportunities. That third one's hard because it's not obvious exactly where we put that money to work. And I think we've demonstrated to investors we're disciplined and we're patient. That might frustrate some people, but I'll take discipline and patience over, you know, get it out there any time of any, any day of the week. So, Discipline and patience is, that's, you know, how we operate. So, so those are the three rank, main areas. What do you rank higher then? Taking your existing assets, like again, I think Brandon was, was mentioning maybe um, buying out the minorities in Belgium and maybe trying to structurally make a combination and have an IPO and maybe there's some value recognition there or, you know, door number two, looking for some new opportunities um, that are in the market, which it sounded like from your buy language there, there was, it's less, it's less, or it's more challenging to find new a, opportunities, new yeah. markets to get into. We have a long list. We'll, we'll talk about it in a moment, but, but on the first, the main point you raise in terms of driving value in our core markets, there is still opportunity, right? I mean, the deal we just did in the UK isn't maybe the last deal. In the UK. Right. There can be opportunities to drive our footprint to cooperate or collaborate with other players in the marketplace. So the UK could possibly be a great opportunity for us to be uh, aggressive and, and opportunistic. Um, certainly Vodafone may or may not want to get out of the Dutch business. We don't know. You know, right now we're 50-50 partners and very happy. 
the minorities in telling it, and, you know, it's an expensive stock. I don't know that we'd be the right move. But Switzerland also is a market where there's an acquisition if you want it in terms of the mobile operator there and possibly another, uh, uh, you know, play with a public company. I'll also add one point to this sum of the parts equation. Um, and this is not going to be surprising to anyone who's followed Liberty, but often in Europe, and I'll speak to Telenet as an example, there is European investors are more aligned to these free cash flow yielding, somewhat stable and mature, but blue chip national champions. That's a lot of words. Free cash flow producing, dividend paying often, national champions, blue chip telecom players. If I live in Belgium, I got to own Telenet. If I'm a financial guy in Switzerland, I got to own Sunrise and Swisscom. And the ability to, to extract and demonstrate and catalyze value in these core countries by taking these companies public is a massive opportunity and one that helps that sum of the parts equation. Nobody is going to debate me on the $4 a share we own in Telenet stock. Why not? Because they can go look at the stock quote. If we can find a way, and it'll be case by case, to, to, to find natural investor bases in these core markets that want to own a piece of a fixed mobile champion, that's an exciting opportunity. And five times leverage in the UK doesn't make it hard to do more deals depends in the UK? On the depends on the cash flow, depends on the dividend structure. Um, you know, we've been living in the four to five times world forever. And with our with our free cash flow profile and margins, it's doable. But it depends. And um, a, a traditional institution might want to see three or four times leverage. You know, you play that out as you get to that point. But you don't have to be investment grade. I mean, I think you can have you know, moderate leverage and, uh, and attract a great investor base. But you make that decision on a case-by-case basis. What about content? I know you have, what, the minority stake in ITV, a couple other things. Is that a potential use of cash? Does content matter to you at this point at all? Or is, is this just a connectivity business? Yeah, so in Europe, we've taken, I would say, an 80-20 rule. It's 80% a connectivity business, meaning that's where our effort and, and time and energy is. And, and look at this pandemic, if it's proven anything, is just how vital and essential our businesses are to the communities we serve, to the customers and businesses we serve. You know, we're running at plan, basically, and, and we feel fortunate to be running at plan. Fired anybody, everything's going really well. The 20%, and I don't mean to say 20% is video as such, because our revenue from video is probably more like a third. But we realize that the video business, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, is evolving and, and many, sometimes even disrupting, depending on what country you live in. Uh, our investment in content as such is principally as a distributor and aggregator of content in the old school model of cable, right? To go back 20, 30 years, what, what did cable do? It brought a bunch of channels to consumers. Now we're bringing channels and apps and experiences and user interfaces. And so our, our, our role as a meta aggregator of video experiences is alive and well. We don't have to own all of those video experiences. I don't need to own the sports. I don't need to own the news. I don't need to own Netflix to give our customers an incredibly powerful integrated video experience. We do own some sports. You know, we own the Formula E. We have sports channels in Holland that are very successful in Belgium. We own broadcast networks in Ireland. So there are examples of where we vertically integrated and but they're examples that are on the margin they're more outliers today and they're proving to be quite successful the stake in itv you know it's it's financial and strategic let's see how the market unfolds but um i think we've been very strategic about the content question in europe and that's been it's paid off 
dividends. We have no, you know, it's nice to not have any advertising exposure right now, for example. So let's just go back to the UK very briefly. Um, again, on the five times leverage, you also have got five more investments to make. I think BT yesterday or the day before suspended the dividend. So they're probably going to be more aggressively um, investing there. So it's a more competitive uh, environment. Um, and also, if you can just kind of update us on all the MBNOs that exist, whether um, the MBNO that uh, Sky has or, or that, um, yeah, that Sky has with O2, excuse me, and that you have with BT, are you going to move all your traffic and, is, and what happens yeah. with Sky in, in terms of, of the new relationship? Okay, so let me unpack all that. Just to start with, you know, the synergies in this combination are substantial. We value them over 6.2 billion pounds yep. NPV. We think that's probably light. A big component of those synergies are taking our 3 million mobile subs and putting them on the O2 network. That's okay. a huge source of synergies. Yep. We will do that, whether it's from the EE to the Vodafone to the O2 network or from the EE to the O2 network, because we have yep. this Vodafone and VNO deal we, we could activate. That's a big source of synergies. So no question, at some point, Virgin Mobile customers will be on O2, o, the O2 platform. So Vodafone's that out, that whole deal of going to Vodafone. No, it's not out. No, it's not out because okay. there, there's a lot of, there are scenarios where that's a perfectly smart move for us to go from one okay. to the other to the other. So that's, it's important to note that's not out. Um, so, so that's the strategy there. Um, now I'm going to, now. O2, O2 with O2 hosting Sky? Correct. Now O2 is a great, and, and Sky are great partners. And you know, I see no reason why Sky would want to mess with that deal. Uh, O2 is a, a reliable, robust network, and we're partners with Sky on content. O2 is partners with Sky on mobile. It's a very symbiotic relationship, and I think Sky is a, a great partner, great partner for us, great partner for them. So I see lots of opportunity to maybe do more with Sky down the road in that marketplace, um, and I don't see any impact that this deal has on those important relationships. And BT, look at BT is a great competitor, you know, super important infrastructure player. I'm, I'm really excited to see them lean into fiber and, and, and build out because that's what the country needs and that's what we all need. So we're not shying away from infrastructure-based competition. Love it, bring it on. And the fact that they're being, they're declaring a more aggressive approach, smart move on his part. It builds a good operator. So BT's not going away, but I'll tell you what he said about our deal. He loves it. We need consolidation. We need rational operators. We need people functioning in a rational way. Right. He bought EE, got the deal done in 11 months through the government. Smart move. So he understands that it's all about consolidation and convergence. And we're just, we're just pushing, that, uh, pushing that button and he's, he's, he gets it. What do you think Sky's going to do? I mean, this is obviously a massive transaction, um, pretty dynamic combination of, of fixed and, and mobile. If you were sitting in Sky's shoes, like, What's your reaction, you know, today? I think, well, I I think Sky's reaction is not. This is not unexpected. This is absolutely the playbook that this company Liberty has 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 utilized in every country they're in. This was a matter of time. It was when, not if. So I would say the reaction is perfectly. Uh, you know, this was expected, and I think that we are a good partner of theirs and that them of ours. And I think this almost, in my opinion, this closes no doors for them and no doors for us. It opens up doors. Why? Because we have now even greater confidence to build out infrastructure. Possibly they see them as an infrastructure partner or, or, or a wholesale access you know, partner potentially. There's more to do on the content side with O2 and Sky. I mean, there's nothing but opportunity that this creates. And I think you know, Sky's a great company, great business. 
you know, they're going through a little tough time now because of the, the, the nature of what's happening. But uh, don't count these guys out. Sky is a fantastic operator, and, and they'll be around for a very long time. Why does fixed mobile convergence matter so much in Europe? It doesn't seem to matter that much in the U.S. I guess Charter and Comcast have had their dabbling in, in, yeah. in mobile. But it, it's a huge theme in Europe. Why is yeah. that? Two or three very simple explanations. It's the right question to ask. And it has everything to do, if you want to really go back to it, to the FCC. What's one thing Comcast can never do? It can never buy Charter, we don't think. It can never buy Cox. Maybe. There will never, no, maybe. We'll see. There will rarely, if ever, be. If they, and, drop, and if they drop NBC, maybe. And, yeah, and what do we know about AT&T got broken up? So then the, it won't the be US Comcast did, anymore. <laughs> exactly. What the U.S. did is it chalked up the country. And it said the worst thing that can happen is one operator across the country, whether it's cable or copper, we don't care. There will be no cable copper consolidation. Yep. Europe said that's bullshit. I'm not sure if I can say that on this. Absolutely. You can say, you can say whatever, whatever you, you want. <laughs> Europe said bullshit. We have <laughs> national incumbent telcos that are nationwide, and we're not breaking those up, and we love cable consolidation. So we own 100% of the cable operators in Europe. I mean, in our core markets. We own, we own 100% of the cable operations in the UK. We own 100% of them in Ireland, Holland, uh, Flanders, uh, Switzerland. So what we were able to do that the U.S. is unable to do is consolidate a market, get near national reach and scale. Once you have near national reach and scale and you lay on top of that national mobile scale, you can have convergence. When you're in Boston, but you're not in New York right. City, where's the convergence? I mean, the point is it's, it's all about scale. It's and in Europe, yeah. yeah. And in Europe, we have been allowed to build scale to compete with telco scale. And those we're now national challengers and national champions with fixed and mobile national networks. That's the real difference. And once one guy does it, you better do it. You know, if you're a mobile only player or you're fixed with no mobile and you've got the incumbent with fixed and mobile pushing convergence, there's no choice. You've got to get into that game. The only way to make it work in the US would really be through JVs. And JVs don't seem to work as well in the U.S. as they do in Europe, I guess. I think that's right. I mean, network sharing. I mean, there could be – look at any of the MVNOs that Comcast and Charter and these guys have. We'll see what their marketing success is. I think they get millions of customers. I don't know if they're making any money yet. But, but I think they'll, they're getting their feet wet in, the, in the, you know, the impact that these products can have on customers. Let's see. We know that – I'll just speak quickly about it. We know because we're doing it every day. In Holland, for example, uh, a, we went from an 18% converged fixed mobile base, meaning that broadband and mobile are our products in that household, to almost 40, mid 40s, 40% in three years. That means that you know half of our customers are getting everything from us or more, vice versa. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. What we know is when that happens, um, churn goes down 50%, NPS skyrockets, and customers love you. It just it just works, and that is that's you know will this country ever get there? The states, I don't know, but thank God we're doing it in Europe. Do you think that Charter is going to be successful with mobile? I don't have a great sense of that. I know Comcast is advertising pretty heavily in places where I have homes, and they seem pretty committed to it. I don't really know how Tom how committed Tom is to it. I think he's you know he's got such a great opportunity in broadband. 
um, you know, I, I, I can appreciate his, you know, single-mindedness yeah. right, in terms of value creation. So we'll see. Is it a distraction for him? Do you, think? do you think it's a distraction for him to get possibly? Yeah. Possibly. I mean, it costs money. It's a new product. You need, you know, I think, uh, you know, you, you need shops. If you can get them, you need a whole new retail mindset. You need a new management team because it's not a simple product uh, or it is a simple product, but a different sell. So there's investment in that. And, and I don't know how much margin they make. Look at in Europe with an MBO deal, because MBOs in Europe are so standard, you can drive mid thirties gross margins on your MBO deal, maybe higher. I don't know if they're making any margin or gross margin on their deals here. I just don't know. Then when you buy the MNO, of course, you got all the margin. So the owner economics really come when you own a network, but you can drive pretty good gross margins, uh, even EBITDA margins on an MBO business in Europe because it's such a well-trodden path and the pricing is so aggressive. So to step back on type, the types of deal opportunities aside from, which was great on the structural side, the national competitor, maybe that's how you get value that way. If you look at Telenet or Flanders, it used to seem like it was the playbook that a lot of people had for cable and wireless mergers. It, I thought it was the theory that Comcast and Charter were going to crush pricing, Sprint or T-Mobile were going to fail, they'd come in and roll it. That obviously is not happening. So what, and the playbook that you just had um, in the UK was, was not that either. What, what is the playbook now for um, the consolidation around the world in terms of how mobile and fixed will come together? And, and, I why, think is it, it's, and why isn't content I, part of that either? Yeah, so great question on both fronts. First of all, I think the, the, the element of that I, you need several things to make fixed mobile convergence work. The first one I described, and that is scale. Got to have, got to have network scale. You got to have mobile scale. And when you've got those two things on top of each other, that's when the magic happens, right? 5G plus one gig, can't turn back. That's, 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 the, that's the magic combo. And where you can put 5G and one gig together in European countries that have, allow you to build scale in the fixed space, it's going to happen. It's great. Will that happen in other markets? It's case by case. I think in some cases, you know, in, in Latin America, we, uh, you know, our Latin American uh, public company there has mobile and fixed in a number of countries, in Panama, in, in, in uh, Bahamas, in Chile, we've got, you know, growing small, small mobile base. So there is proof and evidence that it can work in other markets, but you really need that, that overlap in scale. Um, no, that is, I think content piece of it is going to be case by case as well, but you could see that, you know, somebody who has, I mean, I'll give you an example in Holland, we don't own a broadcast network, but we got some great sports channels that are some of the third or fourth rated highest channels in the marketplace. And we can see the power of promotional power, cross promotional power, consumer brand awareness, you know, NPS power of having the number one sports channel in Holland when you've got fixed and mobile, you know, Vodafone Ziggo with Ziggo Sports and the Ziggo Dome yep. and our support of, of, of the soccer team. I mean, these things all are, you know, it's, it's, it's a flywheel. And in Belgium, we just bought the other half of that broadcast network, you know, SBS. So we'll see if we can make our content strategy, you know, become an accelerator in that, in that small-ish market. And I think there's opportunity to do that. Do you end up, like when you think about like Premier League rights, I mean, do you, they're probably going to come up for sale again, like, you know, not too long. Like when, when you think about the larger scale that you now have, like in the UK with, with across fixed and wireless, does it change how you can bid or how aggressive you can bid? Like, th does it change the, the way you calculate? Maybe. Um, I would say maybe. It doesn't necessarily change the fundamental economic strategy. Of, do you need to own the right to make people happy, make customers happy in Europe, in, in the UK, of course, 
most of the great sports is premium and we sell or resell all that stuff. So if you're a Virgin Media customer, you don't lack for anything. You've got access to BT Sport. You've got access to Sky Sports. You've got Eurosport. You've got BBC ITV. You've got all the sports you need. And we don't, we're not precluded from offering anything. So the big question for us is, do we want to step up that food chain and, you know, run the risk of having the exposure that obviously people have today in sports? Um, oh, and, you know, without, without, unless it has to be some material benefit to our distribution strategies to do that. Um, could you do it in partnership with somebody? Perhaps. I bet I think the days of, you know, the, you, you guys write about it all the time. I mean, you're the leading voice on this. You know, I'm not saying the game is up on sports, but it's sure put sh shining a bright light on what's happened here in the last couple of decades and how sustainable that may or may not be. Why have sports rights valuations in Europe have not gone up like they have in the U.S.? I think there was even some down rounds in important sports. Yeah. Premier League, WWE was down quite a bit. Why is that the dynamic in Europe when sports rights are still going through the roof in the U.S. for now? Yeah, one of the main reasons is premium sports in Europe is a premium product. It's like you know, I can watch NFL if I buy HBO. It'd be like HBO buying the sports there, right? I mean, it's kind of weird. It, not everybody even gets access to Premier League football because you've got to buy the premium sports channel. Unlike uh, the U.S., where everything's funneled into the to the basic package, has pros and cons. Uh, it doesn't exist that way in Europe, other than in Eurosport and some broadcasters. So the competitive dynamics are different. And there aren't that many pay TV platforms. And if BT and Sky are going to act rationally, that puts these rights holders in a slightly different position. It's not as if B, it's not the BBC, ITV, Sky, uh, and B, and BT all competing for that sport. You know those rights. It's really just a couple guys. So the dynamics vary by country. And um, and we know, haven't seen the big tech players come in. I mean, that's sort a of the other bit. part I mean, of this. Amazon bought some rights. Yeah, like this out. though, like this, right. like little. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But, and is it, well, will they come in? If they get cheap enough, they might. But let's talk about video. You know, I've, you've been a pioneer, honestly, um, not to kind of toot your own horn, but like, you know, you've been early to the, people don't want to watch linear TV as much as they want access to all these apps. And you were the first to put Netflix on a set top box and Amazon. And I mean, you've been a real leader in getting that integrated into the set top box, but it kind of begs the question, like, why even be in the video business? Like, is it even like a, you know, dealing with, you know, programmers and all of that? Like, why not just let people bring their own service? Verizon's letting you bring YouTube TV, put on Netflix if you want. Like, why do you need to be the aggregator even? Like, why not just say, do whatever you want, like, you know, plug in a Roku and, and bring the services you want. And we'll just stick to broadband, fixed and, and mobile. I'll give you three reasons. It's the right question. Number one, and you would know this, we still have a big business. So there is a defensive protective element to being in the video business. And I mean, nobody's just going to throw away a third of revenue, right? I mean, there's a protective and defensive element and don't, I don't want, investors shouldn't be frightened by that. That's just smart. You need to, you know, protect your consumers to the best of your ability and, and try to optimize that revenue and margin. That's point one. Point two is then second thing you have to do is what we've done, which is try to evolve your user experience, your platform, your content offering 
to retain as many of those as you can. And that's our investment, like Comcast has done in, in X1, what we've done at Horizon, getting a, a device and a platform that's fully integrated. Because we do know this, and you would agree, whether it's Netflix or Amazon or, or Stars or BBC or ITV or Sky, people don't want to work that hard. They never have, they never will. And if you can give them all that stuff, I watch my kids. You know, they're not going to bother. If they pick up the remote at home, they're just going to hit Netflix on the Comcast box. Why the hell would they go out of Comcast into the Netflix app, reload the Netflix app when all the content's there on X1? So the point is there, need, there is a role for an aggregator. In every case, there's a role for an aggregator. And there's as good a chance of us being that aggregator as anybody. We have a box in the home. We have a device in the home. We have the content relationships. If you can be, that's the second reason. Third reason is, uh, or the third you know, strategy is to evolve beyond that middle point, meaning you know, we can and will develop an, an IP-based box that is a Roku-like box or an, you know, an Apple TV box. It, we will develop a cheap and cheerful box that gives consumers that experience. It'll allow them to upgrade into ours experience if they want, but will be a tack-on device to a broadband connection. And then there's a fourth reason. And this is maybe the most important. We know by from research and reality that if we don't have a video product, we don't get the broadband penetration we want, that people do want to bundle. At least in the UK, we've researched it six ways a Sunday. If we all of a sudden tomorrow didn't have a Virgin Media video product, we will lose quite a few broadband customers. Broadband, that, the bundle matters. Does that go the opposite way in Latin America, meaning that does pay TV matter enough that Vrio is attractive to anyone as an additional service if they already have fixed or even a mobile broadband type of product? I think Latin America is a, is a slightly different animal for a lot of reasons. And I think in Latin America, because there isn't the existing pay TV base, all of the existing pay TV CPE and infrastructure, you could almost leapfrog. And what, what Balin is doing there with Vivek is actually looking at maybe just an Android-based, you know, app-based uh, video platform in certain markets, maybe all markets, that sort of leapfrogs this, this notion because it doesn't, he's not protecting as big a base, there isn't the legacy equipment, and the markets are smaller. A lot of what we're doing, what Comcast doing, is doing requires some investment country by country, so you have to have scale to make it work. In a lot of the markets we're in Latin America, the Caribbean, this over-the-top sort of light and cheerful, you know, uh, Android-based type video product might work great. Brio, different store. I mean, that's a different question altogether. I mean, there, there is no there, there. I mean, there is no multiple products, multiple bundles. Yep. It's kind of a one, one way street. As an acquisition though, for somebody else, Let, let's just switch. I, think, to five. I mean, 5G, I think you've said many times, you don't think it competes with broadband, but then you've obviously made some acquisitions of, of wireless companies. What, what is, what do you view as the business case for 5G then? Like where, where is it interesting? Well, what I've always said is this. Yeah, I mean, there's, those are multiple questions in there. Everybody will have a 5G phone at some point in time. You'll have one, I'll have one. It's just a matter of time. And what, when we have that 5G phone, it'll be a, a, a much better experience than we had on 4G, just as 4G was a much better experience than 3G. And so there's no stopping the evolution of mobile. It's all going to happen, and it should happen for darn sake. I mean, it should happen. You'll have a 5G phone at some point in time. The, the, chat, the, the, the other end of that question is, will anybody make any money with a 5G phone? That's a different question. Well, the return you get, I get as an operator from a 5G consumer handset in your hands, you know, justify what I have to spend on spectrum and, and on technology and network 
intensification question mark but you got to go no there's no turning back you got to have that experience because if you don't do it your competitors are going to do it so everybody will have a 5g phone in three four five six seven eight years and it'll be better than your 4g experience will it will you pay more for it question mark that's the economic question um in terms of 5g being a replacement for fixed i don't see it i don't see it for all kinds of reasons or you know you would know this the average Mobile, you might even, this might even be a quote from one of your research pieces, but I think the average mobile sub is 10 to 20 gigabytes a month. The right. average, the average broadband connection is 200 to 300 gigabytes a month. And a lot Europe, more right now, a heck of a, a lot, lot more, more right, right now. now. And in Europe, maybe like in the, in Europe, the ARPUs aren't that far off. Right. You know, we're much cheaper in Europe. Everything's much cheaper in Europe. So I'm not so sure anybody's going to, how do you give people two, 300 gigabytes on a mobile phone for the same price? that you're charging them for the fix. I don't see it. Secondly, we're already one gig. In the UK, our average speed is 140 meg, average across the footprint. We offer 500 to a gig, but the average consumer is at 140. The average British consumer who's not a virgin customer is at 30. We've got one gig, we'll go to two and a half gig, we'll go to 10 gig. The sky's the limit on our infrastructure and fiber infrastructure. And every eight years, it goes up tenfold. Just go back and look at it. When we were at a, I remember being one megabit service, man, we put the flags up, we partied all night long. We got a meg. Then it was, then we said, can anybody want 10 meg? Does anybody, and then we, of course they did. And we said, does anybody want a hundred meg? Well, look at, we're average 140 in the UK. A gig is next. It's just a matter of time. And then we'll have 10 gig. And I just wireless will just never compete with that. It doesn't have the, you know, physical. So even at the tail end, because these are averages, you've got customers at the tail end. I don't know. Sandvine used to provide some of this data. And again, fixed, you know, they're getting higher band spectrums and fixed. You just, even in five, 10 years, these companies are building out densification. There's excess capacity. You just don't see that as a risk at all in broadband. What are we learning about? What are we learning about mobile usage in this crisis? Everybody's offloading to Wi-Fi. Right. They do that even now and they do it even more now. Seventy uh, percent of the time you're offloaded to Wi-Fi because it's unlimited. It doesn't cost anything and it's a, and it's efficient. If I were on this now, if I were on this particular link now, not on my Wi-Fi, but on my cellular network, I would be nervous. I would be worried. I would be using the capacity. I would be usage charges, whatever it might be. I think a lot of things would have to change. Most importantly, the efficiency, the, the cost efficiency, and I would say the delivery the quality of a, of a mobile network to really put fixed out of business. It's just not going to happen. So the value of wireless would just scale, of, <clears throat> excuse me, scale of customers, not risk aversion or risk, um, whatever, hedging yourself on the cable business getting threatened. I think the wireless equation for us is a number of things. It's we know that consumers want to buy multiple products from one provider. Yep. We know in the UK, I'll give you some stats. We did some research. We know that that 50% of O2 customers would prefer to buy a broadband product from an O2 Virgin than somebody else. We know that only 17%, I think, of Virgin subs have a have an O2 connection, and we can sell the heck out of mobile to fixed customers. We do that everywhere. And that convergence rate, you can go from 10 to 40 or 20 to 50, that has huge benefits to churn, to ARPU, to NPS. And, and, we, and, and custom, there will also be down the road Huge benefits to your business and enterprise business. If I can walk into a university or a large enterprise and say, I'm not only giving you huge, super powerful fixed services and uh, internet of, and how here's, here's a mobile deal with internet of things and cybersecurity across the whole thing and one big package, having fixed and mobile on an enterprise basis is also super powerful, super powerful. So there's lots of benefits to putting these together. Got it.
You're an invest. You're an investor in Lionsgate, and you also sit on the board of Lionsgate. What have What have you learned from that, and why Why are you invested in Lionsgate? Yeah, well, I've learned a few things. These guys make these guys are good at what they do. They make great content. Um, I think everybody would agree to that. Uh, I think they're good managers and operators. I think they've been caught in a bit of a perfect storm, right? <laughs> They've been caught in a bit of a perfect storm. They bought into a pay TV platform, uh, Stars, at a time when really, uh, you know, uh, subscription renewals with operators were were a serious headwind. And of course, just moving into OTT and direct to consumer, a great opportunity, cost capital. So there's a bit of a perfect storm. Then you got the pandemic. So it's all kind of you know happening to these guys at once. And I think they're clever and they'll figure out how to optimize the value of stars, whether it's internationally or domestically. And I think they'll maybe even see opportunity in you know, the production business and uh, other players. But it's a good company. We bought it really to learn, to get smart about what's happening in that space. Um, you know, we did it together with Discovery, who we have lots of investments with. And I think obviously David's a terrific operator and yep. strategic player. Um, you know, we didn't see, you know, we thought the stars deal would work better than it has, but the truth is they kind of ran into a meat grinder there, uh, when it came to renewals and it came to the cost of launching overseas and direct to consumer. So let's see, I wouldn't count these guys out, you know, John and Michael Bernie have around a long time and you don't get to be in that business that long without, I think being pretty wily and clever and, you know, we'll see what they can pull off. Looking at kind of your kind of platform versus the U.S. guys um, or platforms, you know, obviously there's been some pretty bold moves by AT&T to vertically integrate uh, in the U.S. Uh, when you look at Comcast, obviously, Brian, you know, not just here, but obviously in many ways, Sky is sort of vertically integrated. Definitely. We've got TV production businesses all over the world that are slammed, right? Like shut down, yeah. nothing happening. You've got tons of cash, any desire to vertically integrate or do you just fundamentally believe that like what Comcast and AT&T is just the wrong strategy relative to all the opportunities that are out there? Well, they, they're different, slightly different strategies, AT&T and Comcast. I mean, Comcast initially when they bought NBC Universal, I think was as much diversification and hedging as it was synergy and integration. Or just and buying it, on the cheap. And, and a great financial transaction. Yeah. So all those things, you know, the government didn't even allow them to do any vertical integration for the longest time. So that right. was a, a hedge and a great transaction and a smart deal and it worked out terrific. And I think they do see benefits now as they start to unwind those those prohibitions and they start to see how they can, you know, power the brands and the content and in through the platform. So I think they're just now getting really into it in a positive way. And I think it'll be, it'll pay off. Now it's unfortunate that it exposed them to advertising and other things that they wouldn't otherwise been. But this is a once in a generation lifetime event. Nobody should be penalized for what's happening right now. I hope not. Shouldn't be. Um, AT and T. That strategy for me is a little not quite as clear. I mean, the mobile business. You know, I, you know, we'll see if how easy it is to to cross promote and and drive synergies in those two strategies there. Um, but you don't think you need to own those types of assets to do well, things like HBO Max? I would say it this way, that in Europe, let's just take Europe, there are no Disneys of Europe. There are no you know, HBOs of Europe. It's a very fragmented content marketplace where the broadcasters still dominate. 
You go to the UK, 70, 80, 90% of the time, people are leaning back watching broadcast TV. Now they're watching time-shifted TV. They're watching their DVRs. They're watching catch-up and on-demand. And they're watching Netflix and Amazon. Sure they are. But, but broadcasters in Europe are still quite dominant and powerful. And, um, and the, but they're also fragmented. So I can't, there is no big trade. There's no AT&T Time Warner trade for me in Europe. There's no, there's no, there's no Comcast NBCU trade for me in Europe. There's country by country trades. And we've done a couple of them. So you have to kind of, and when you fragment it, it's not, not quite as big a headline or as big a risk. I think you're a small investor in the Univision acquisition. I could be wrong. Is that still happening? Given everything yeah. that's yeah, yeah, gone yeah. on with we're the Yeah. Yeah, I sit on the Televisa board. I think Televisa also a bit of a perfect storm, but has some great underlying assets. That deal is still happening. And I think the, you know, uh, Eric and Wade and you know Searchlight and Forgelight are going to be great owners and operators of that business. We're putting a pretty small piece in as a preferred uh, uh, piece of paper, but really, you know, to, to maintain a good relationship with Televisa. And, and of course, I like these guys and see what happens. Um, but I, it's for us a very small investment. That deal is happening. Yeah, I don't see any change to that transaction. Look at viewership. You guys know this. Viewership is through the roof. The problem is there's no advertisers. <laughs> so right. will advertisers come back? You're experts at that. You'll you'll make a determination. But there's nothing well, wrong. But it, with it's pretty interesting when you look at I me, mean, Roku. I was listening to Anthony Wood last night, and he said viewership among 18 to 34 on linear TV was actually down uh, high teens. It's you know because it's all streaming. Like the streaming growth is sure. is through the roof. But linear TV, I think much of that is sports, not to mention kind of the fresh content yeah. on TV is drying up. But news I just is, wanted to news kind of, is picking up some slack, but you're right. Sports correct. Is, sports is hurting. Well, you know, you have a lot of investments in, in production. When do you think production restarts? We've seen, I think, Ireland restarted, Czechoslovakia, but like any view of when your production operations actually start or no way to tell? I think second half of the year, you know, it, a lot of it is local regulations, right? In every country we operate is different. We own all three media with, with Discovery, a big producer of content, largest independent producer in the second UK. Second half of content. this year? I think it's going to be subject to local regulations. So if in Holland they say, you know, you you know, you're you're social distancing or sheltering in place through this date or that date and if you do if you don't come if you do come back this is when it, this is when you can and how you can. Uh, I think it's going to be somewhat uh, specific to markets. Uh, what are you guys? What are you hearing about it? What's your what's your take? I mean, look, I think TV is easier. So like you know, you were shooting, I don't know, This Is Us, where you have a small number of actors close and set. actresses on stage with a closed set. You can do it and lock everyone down. I see that. I, you know, but I was thinking out loud, like, imagine Game of Thrones was still shooting. You couldn't do it. Like, you four countries, thousand people, cat. like, you just couldn't do it. I don't know even know yeah. when you could do it. Movies are going to be really, it's going to be really hard for movies. I don't even know when you could shoot a Marvel or DC Comics movie in the next year. But I do think TV is a little bit easier. And I think you'll see that start. Hopefully, I, I agree. Hopefully in the second not, half. Not to get into the whole pandemic issue, but I'll tell you that look, it all comes down to a few things, right? Data and yep. testing. Once the data comes out, I'm hopeful that it will show that the fatality rate is, is you know, a fraction of what we what we what people have been told it is because you had it i had it a third of americans had it whatever the number is i think we're going to find that it a lot of people have had this virus and and it's unfortunately just many have succumbed to it but the fatality rate is actually pretty low 
that'll help the psychological challenge we all face and many will continue to face even when when things open up uh and then the second thing is testing if you can if you say to someone you can't come on set until you get a test they say fine i'll get the test I'll get the test i got tested you know the point is that once once you've got a a, a a vaccine a test and some data that's a lot of ifs once you have those three things i think I think the wheels will start to turn again on pretty much everything because people, there's no want to out there. Everybody wants to get back to work. They just want to feel safe. And that's, 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 you know, that's, that's the job of government and local officials and health officials is to get, help people feel safe, not just be safe, but feel safe. All right. I think we're over time. So we, we want to always try and end it on something light either. I think we've been asking people like, what, what are they watching? What are their favorite show? But, we were all discussing your the Liberty uh, logo. Is that a pineapple? Is that an acorn? Is that an artichoke? What what is the yeah. origin? Of and, and what's the, the history logo? of this? Like, how did this happen? Yeah, really good question. My wife calls it the bionic <laughs> artichoke. Uh, it predates her. It goes back to early, you know, the two thousands when we were developing our first generation of our digital platform, and. The, the initially what it, it's a bloom okay it's it's a bloom it's not an artichoke it's not a pineapple it's a bloom and initially okay. the bloom animated it opened up and stuff what kind of bloom? And, uh, good question i don't remember the exact you know the native plant but it's a bloom and the bloom animated and and it just came together and now it's sort of you know uh it's sort of become just this sort of fixed i you know not iconic but this fixed image and uh, we're kind of just stuck on it. I don't really know. We, we kind of we kind of come up with reasons to get rid of it. I'm like, what's the difference? It is. Well, one day we'll tell you the story of Thank our you. logo and how that was created. That was <laughs> yeah. About as <laughs> it was like a four month process. Let's see your logo. I know I've seen your logo. It's it's, it's behind Rich's head there. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's not the colored Rich, one, but it has a lot of light. Yeah, light shed. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah, this works great. Yeah, but listen, Mike. you guys do a great job. I, I really appreciate this, your 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 analysis of what's happening, and you know, you guys tell it like it is, and that's very uh, very. Well, we wanted to get you on because your call was obviously early hours. We just thought, with so many people in the U.S. interested in your story, and I mean globally interested in your story, but we just thought it'd be a great opportunity to get you to sort of explain a little bit about the logic behind this deal and just get some vi visible FaceTime with with the world right now. And so I appreciate, I appreciate you doing it. this. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Many right, times. Stay safe. Take care. Take care. Bye, Bye now.